Good morning, church. How are you? Oh, I'm glad to be here, so that's all that matters. We are going to praise our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Make some noise for Jesus. Yes. Yes. I was sitting here this morning, and I was thinking about, I, was, I wanted to make sure that I remind us what's the purpose. Why do we gather here? And we know why we gather. You know, we, we know that we want to be encouraged to, to one another. We know that we want to... Um, hold each other accountable, but the real reason, the primary reason that we are here is to glorify the name of the Lord. And I love Psalm 27 verses 4 through 5 that says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. I love that. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent he will lift me high upon a rock. Our main focus, church, always, always in every aspect for every believer is to 
glorify God and to treasure him above all things. And we say this over and over, and it's because we are so easily turned astray, you know. And so I want to remind you that as we sing, we sing out of the graciousness of our hearts for what God has done for us and is doing in and through us. And for those that maybe have never heard the gospel and you're here today, I pray that you would hear the saints sing, that you would hear the word preached, and more than anything, God would call you and you would respond. So stand with me. I'm going to lead us in prayer and we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the opportunity to be here among your people and to sing and to celebrate. And Lord, I pray simply that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, that our hearts would be turned closer to you, that you would find our worship pleasing to your ears, that your name would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's sing and let's celebrate. Search the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise, and treasures that fade, are never enough. And then you came along, put me back together.
stand with me. Give him praise and honor, church. Do his name. Yes. Please 
to us to a God that is merciful and holy and righteous your word says you loved us while we were yet sinners dead in our trespasses the miracles, the great miracles you have performed in our hearts oh Lord mere words cannot capture and God I pray for every man, woman and child in this room whether they're a believer whether they are seeking the truth, I pray that you would make your hand known to them, that you would turn their hearts even closer to you. I pray for marriages to be healed. I pray for health situations to resolve themselves. I pray for job situations, financial situations, wayward children, emotional um, addictions. I pray for sin that is hidden, become sin that is known so that we would, we would confess this to you pray that we would look at you and we would value you more than we value that sin or that marriage or that child or that job or any possession. God, let these people be a people after your own heart. Let us sing and celebrate, not because we like the song, but because we love you and we desire you above all things. Turn our hearts, God. Turn our hearts closer to you right here, right now, so that our worship might be pleasing based in spirit and in truth that the name of Christ may be lifted up and our lives might disappear completely and that you would be glorified and let's sing So overflow. 
you may be seated, church. Good morning, church. Um, hey, a little late. <laughs> y'all blessed by that? Y'all, y'all, y'all hear what we were just singing? God, your spirit lives within me. Isn't that awesome? God, I want to walk in your peace. God, I am not alone. God, think about your glory and millions and millions of angels surrounding you, bowing down before you. Jesus, there's nothing better than you. Man, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I'm Pastor Ryan. I'm the student pastor here at Southview. And I'm going to lead us now in a time of prayer. We like to kind of start our corporate times together just we think it's important that we we block out a time for us just to pray together specifically so i want to lead us through a passage that god's kind of been keeping me in at psalm 51 i want you to hear it, it says create in me a clean heart O god and renew a right spirit within me cast not me away from your presence and take not your holy spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see, here David is speaking in this psalm, and he's being convicted over sin in his life. Right over here at this point, David has, has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's murdered her husband Uriah. He has lied about it to cover things up. And David's prayer is that God would remove the sin from his life, that God would give him a new heart, a clean heart, because David knew that there was no way that he was going to experience the presence of God in his life. There's no way that he was going to be filled with the Spirit of God, that he would walk in the joy of God unless the sin was removed. And that's my prayer for us this morning. God has made it overwhelmingly obvious to me that I am desperately in need of his presence. I am desperately in need of his Spirit in my life. Even this very moment before you this morning as I'm about to open his word for us, I am desperately in need of God's Spirit to go before me, to speak through me, to prepare me to open God's word. And I believe that you are desperately in need of God's spirit and presence in your life today. And what I don't want is for you to come here and sing songs and open the Bible and leave and not be able to be filled with the spirit, not be able to walk in joy, not be able to experience the presence of God in your life because there's sin keeping you from him. So I want to invite you just to just bow your heads for a moment. Just bow your heads and, 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 and pray something along these lines. Uh, see if there's, ask, ask God, just say, Lord, is there anything, anything in my life that I need to confess? Any sin in my life that I need to repent of? God, is, is there anything that, anything that, that's been pulling me away from you? Maybe there's been some things in your life that, um, that you know that God has been telling you to walk away from. There's some things that God's been saying, hey, you know what, that's not good for you. Is there anything that God's asking you to remove today? Ask God and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. God, fill me with your spirit. God, let me experience your presence. God, allow me to live in the joy of your salvation. Pray something like that now. just saying, Lord, uh, 
we sang the praise, Lord, that your spirit lives within us. And God, we celebrate that. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that there would be nothing now in our lives that keeps us from being filled with that spirit. Lord, that there'd be nothing that creates tension in our relationship with you, but that we would just be able to live in the joy of the salvation you've given us. God, I pray right now that you would bless the reading of your word. Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are willing to obey and follow you. And I ask this in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, you guys, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah 2, and, and as you're turning there, um, I, I want you to think about something for a moment. Um, I want you to imagine the greatest meal of your entire life. All right, you got it? For some of you, maybe you've, you've, you're, you're foodies, you've had a lot of good meals, that might be hard. For me, it's easy. Uh, my parents' 30th wedding anniversary, we went to a Brazilian steakhouse. Anybody ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? Okay, all right, if you haven't been, I promise, you got to go. you got to go at least once, you got to try it. I mean, it's awesome, right? They come over to your plate, they got these huge slabs of meat, and they just, they just saw it right off onto your plate, and, and, and I mean, it's glorious, right? I mean, heaven's going to be like that, right? At, at the beginning of the meal, um, the, they walk over to the table, and, you know, you're doing your drinks and everything, and then the waiter, they give you the circle. And on a circle, one side of the circle is green, and the other side is red. And what you do is that if you leave your circle on red, then you are signaling to your waiter, stop, I'm good, don't keep bringing that meat. But if you put it on green, woohoo, keep it coming, right, keep it coming. And, and, and here's the trick, right, because I was warned before I went. I was warned by a buddy, he said, he said, listen, listen now, they're going to try to fill you up on all the meats they bring out at first, right? Because at the beginning, they're bringing out cheap stuff like lamb chops and mutton. And, and what you want to do, like I, I know it's hard, but what you want to do is you want to hold out. Because wait for it, it's coming filet mignon. So I waited, right? I waited. Lamb chops come by, pretty good, but eh. Pork tenderloin, decent. Top sirloin, that, that's pretty good. I like, I like that. Prime rib, are, are you sure we don't want to get more of that? And, and again, between all these things, right, it's being supplemented by an all-you-can-eat salad bar. Between every entree, they're bringing out garlic whipped mashed potatoes and, uh, and caramelized bananas. I mean, they were really trying to fill you up, right? And, and then finally, the moment arrives, the, the waiter comes, like just like in the movie, right? He's got the silver platter, you know, he's got everything on. He, he comes over. He lays it down, filet mignon, wrapped in bacon, Woo! I was like, okay, green side, keep it coming, right, here we go, bring on that, and, and it was a promise, it was the best meal of my entire life, right, everything was worth it, the weight was worth it, passing on the other meats was worth it, why? Because it satisfied me. And that's, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in God's Word. What satisfies you? How do we experience true satisfaction in this life? So, so Jeremiah chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. If you're with me, say word. All right, all right, here we go. We're in. All right, let's get into it. 
It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord. The first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt and led us through a barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of droughts and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. But I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look, send to Kedar and observe this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. How do we experience true satisfaction? First point I want to draw your attention to is this. Stop pursuing the world. Stop pursuing the world. The situation in Jeremiah 2 was a very simple one. God's people were thirsty. Maybe not physically, uh, spiritually, but they had two options for satisfying their thirst. Take a drink from God or dig their own wells to look for water. God says my people chose door number two. And just as the problem in Jeremiah 2 is not very complicated, the questions we really have to ask this morning are not very complicated either. First question, how did God's people find themselves in this position? Second question, which door are you choosing to satisfy yourself? Let's look at the first one. How do we, how do we, get, how do we get here, right? How did God's people find themselves in this place? Look, maybe they got out to a bad start, right? Like maybe, maybe they just got off to a bad, bad, wrong foot, bad start to relationship. Let's go back. Look at verse 1 with me. Verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord. So what do you think? Did they just have a poor beginning to their relationship? No. Right? L listen to the words that God uses to describe his people. He says they were devoted. They followed him. When? When times were good? No. In the wilderness, right? Through tough times, they stuck with God. They followed him. He calls them holy. So what happened, right? How do we go from verses 1 through 3 to verse 13? Right? How does this happen? Look at verse 5. Verse 5, this is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me 
that they strayed so far from me. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. God says the people started following after worthless idols, and as a result, they became worthless. I'm reminded of Psalm 135. It gives us a similar insight. If you look at verse 15, it says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. And this is, this is so important for us to hear because, because what the psalmist is saying is that the idols, right, here's idols, here's what idols look like. They got mouths but can't speak, eyes but can't see, ears but can't hear, there's no life, no breath in them. And here's the kicker in verse 18, those who make them, but more specifically those who trust in them, become like them. God's word says idols are worthless They are nothing, they are dead, lifeless things, and guess what? When you trust in them and you follow after worthless idols, you become just like them. And so, God's people pursued worthless things, and as a result, they became worthless. The word for worthless in the Hebrew, it's the word habal, and it literally means emptiness. God's saying the people sought after empty things and they became empty. And I want to key in on another word there in verse 5 because we have a parallel going on here in the beginning of this passage. You see, in, in, in verse 2, we see God's people, they're, what are they doing? They're, they're following God, right? They says, you followed me in the wilderness. Now we get to verse 5 and what are the people doing? They're following worthless idols, empty things. And so I, I was thinking about it, I was like, well, God, what does is, what is this following look like, right? What did it look like for God's people to follow him in verse 2? Well, think about it specifically, where were they? They're in the wilderness, right? God's referencing back to this time of wandering for the Israelites, 40 years in the desert. Think about that time. During those 40 years in the wilderness, when Israel followed God, what did that look like for them? Well, they had to trust and rely upon God a lot, didn't they? I mean, I mean, God, God directed them, right? He would tell them when to put up, when to get up and go, when to set down camp, right? They, they, they had the presence of God amongst them in the tabernacle. They had the protection of God as he covered them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They saw the power of God in Egypt with the ten plagues and at the Red Sea and at Mount Sinai and thunder and smoke. They experienced the provision of God and sending manna and quail and, and, and providing uh, a water from a dry and rocky land. They were trusting in the promises of God to lead them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Right? This was God's people, right? living in the presence of God, under the protection of God, witnessing the power of God, experiencing the provision of God, and trusting in the promises of God. God was the only one they looked to for satisfaction. When they were in a dry and barren land, a land where no one dwells, God was the one they turned to for every need. So what changed? They started to pursue satisfaction from places other than God. They started to look to other things and trust in other things besides God to meet their needs. In short, the people of God had become dissatisfied with God. You see, um, this brings up an important principle I want you to remember, which is that dissatisfaction drives deviation. 
I'm going to say that again. Dis, dissatisfaction drives deviation. We're going to see that play out here in the text. If you look back at verse 2, there's another word I want to point out to you that God uses to describe his people in verse 2. He calls them bride. He says, I remember your love as a bride. And, and this language is not unique to Jeremiah. Right All throughout the Bible, we see references to God's church, God's people as, as the bride of Christ. Jesus references himself as the bridegroom. The book of Hosea particularly keys in on this analogy. But, but what, what's interesting here is that God is comparing his people's original state, where they started, he's comparing that to that of a young bride. And God is basically saying, hey, hey guys, remember our honeymoon? Wasn't that awesome? Belize, fresh fish, smoothies, hammocks on the beach. Wasn't that great? I, I remember that. And it's not lost on me that God is using marriage as an example here. I don't have any stats to prove this, but I would be willing to say that the overwhelming majority of divorces come about as a result of dissatisfaction. You can do a quick Google search, you might see the top three causes are money, sex, communication, but I bet that it would all boil down to a dissatisfaction in at least one of the parties in one of those areas. Dissatisfaction drives deviation. When you become dissatisfied with your spouse, what do you do? You find a new spouse. When you become dissatisfied with, uh, you, when you're a dissatisfied customer, what do you do? You get a new company. When you're a dissatisfied employee, what do you do? You find a new job. And what God is saying is that my people have become dissatisfied with me, and so they looked for a new God. And I say become because it's obvious from the text that they weren't always that way. Right? I'm reminded of Hebrews 5.11 where God says the people have become dull of hearing. Right? They weren't always that way, but now they are. I think Revelations 2, 4, and 5 is fitting here for this passage. God is speaking to the church in Ephesus. And he says, but this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. God's people had become dissatisfied with him. They had left their first love and sought after another. So, so how do we experience true satisfaction? Well, first, stop, stop pursuing the things of this world, right? Stop looking to them for satisfaction. Okay, but how do I do that? Step one, see the worthlessness of this world. See the worthlessness, the emptiness of this world. God's people stop following him. They stop trusting in him and looking to him for satisfaction. And instead, they started looking around them. They started trying to find satisfaction in worldly things. They started trusting in worldly things, and the result they became like them, empty and worthless. And this morning, I wonder, what are you following? What are you trusting in? Where are you seeking satisfaction? Are you trusting in your finances, in the stock market to carry you through? God bless you. Are, are you seeking satisfaction in a relationship? That relationship will never bring you lasting satisfaction. And that person you're looking to will be crushed beneath the weight of trying to live up to that expectation. Because they can never accomplish it. Single people, let me talk to you for a second. Students, there's more students here this time. Let me talk to y'all. Don't look to a relationship for satisfaction. 
I know that if, if you're in that state and you desire a relationship, that it can feel like this massive void in your life. And there's this tendency to think that if I can just get this, if I can just get this figured out, my life will be complete. But it's a lie. If you seek satisfaction in the pursuit of a future relationship, the only reward you will receive is disappointment and ultimately what the Israelites found, emptiness. On top of that, it's going to separate you from God. Don't look to relationships for satisfaction. Find satisfaction in Jesus. He's the only one who's going to fill the God-sized hole that's in your heart. So what are you seeking satisfaction from in your life? What are you trusting in and looking to for satisfaction? Are you, are you desperate for success? Do you crave the approval and the acceptance of others? Right? Whatever it is, whatever it is that you're looking to, that you're seeking satisfaction from, these things have become idols in your life. Anything that you are looking to and trusting in, uh, looking to for satisfaction and trusting in outside of God has taken the role of an idol. Even good things. Even good things. I love my kids. Got Canaan and Shepherd, two, uh, four and two. We got another little one on the way. I love my kids, um, but if my satisfaction is found in their development, in their obedience, in their talents, in their abilities, then my kids have become an idol. If we truly desire to experience satisfaction in this world, then we have to see the worthlessness of everything in this world apart from God. I love what Paul, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.24. He says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, right? That's us. That's you and me. Those of us who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Right? He says, if you're in Christ, then you have crucified the flesh along with everything that it craves and desires. See, crucifixion was a death sentence. It was humiliation. You were stripped naked and hung high. It was shameful. You were declared guilty, criminal, worthless, deserving to be slapped and spit on by everyone you passed. And, and see, on this side of Calvary, we look back and we see the beauty of the cross and what Jesus did, and rightfully so. But what Paul is saying is that now, because of Calvary, I put this world in its place. I put these sinful desires and passions, I take the approval and the praises of man, I take the riches of this world, all the glories of this world, everything that it can offer, which are ultimately worthless and empty, I take all of them and I nail them on the cross. I look at them and I despise them and I see them as a condemned, dying, and shameful thing. Christ was crucified for this world so that we could crucify the world. So step one, see the worthlessness of what this world has to offer. And step two, see the gloriousness of God. See the gloriousness of God. Look back at Jeremiah 2. Look at verse 6 with me. Well, what were the people doing? Or, or rather, what, what were they not doing? <laughs> Look at verse 6. It says, They did not ask, where is the Lord, who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. They stopped seeking God. It says no one asked, where is the Lord? They forgot about him. They forgot about all he did in Egypt and the wilderness. They forgot about his presence, protection, power, provision, and promises. Look at verse 7. God says, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. 
You see, the people became pretentious in their plenty. In the land of blessing, they became accursed. They stopped looking to God for satisfaction. They stopped trusting and depending on him. And if we want to experience real, true satisfaction in this world, then we've got to stop pursuing this world. And we do that by seeing how worthless it is and how glorious God is. We have to remember who he is and what he's done for us. I think verse 11 is such a damning verse for God's people. Listen to it. Verse 11, has a nation ever changed its gods, yet they are not gods at all? But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Do you hear it? The worst trade ever to happen in the history of mankind. I mean, I'm talking a bigger steal than the Louisiana Purchase, right? They traded their glorious God for empty, dead, worthless things that could never satisfy. And I just have to ask, is that you today? If you desire satisfaction, then stop pursuing this world. Instead, pursue the Lord. Pursue Jesus. You see, we have to stop pursuing this world. Matthew 6, 24 says that no one can serve two masters, so we have to stop pursuing this world, but it has to go beyond that. You see, there's this belief in physics, which is attributed to the philosopher Aristotle, and it's known by the Latin phrase, horror vacui. Translation, nature abhors a vacuum. And the belief is that if there is a vacuum, in a void in nature, then something will seek to fill it. And I believe that that principle holds true in the spiritual realm as well. That's why in Colossians 3, we're told not only to put off our old selves, but we're told to put on our new selves in Christ. You see, it's not enough to just take off what is bad, but you have to intentionally put on what is right so that something else doesn't fill the void. When we speak of repentance, the word literally means to change, a changing of one's mind, right? There's a, a metaphorical shifting, a turning that takes place. And, and what happens is, is when we turn from the bad thing, what do we do? We turn to something else. And so when repentance, we turn from sin and we turn to Jesus. We can't just stop pursuing the world. We have to then replace it with pursuing Jesus. And so in your pursuit of the Lord, pursue him with faithfulness. Pursue the Lord with faithfulness. Verse 2 says that God's people were devoted to him. In the Greek, that's the word, uh, or sorry, in the Hebrew, that's the word kesed. You, you may see it translated as, a, as loving kindness or steadfast love. It is primarily used in description of God's love for his people. And the two meanings that it's trying to express here are, are tenderness and consideration specifically towards others. You see, kesed is, is never a self-seeking love. It's always an outward expression it's an enduring, faithful, covenant love. And God says, hey, 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 this is the love that my people had for me. This is the love that you guys walked in initially. This was the love that, that, that we had as a young bride. Their satisfaction was not found in pursuing their own desires, but in selflessly pursuing God's desires. So how do we do that? Right? How do we walk in this faithfulness? How do we maintain this kind of love? Well, we do so, one, by depending and trusting in God to help us. John 15, 5 is very clear. Apart from God, you can do nothing. So our initial problem is, is, is fairly simple. We need God to, to fill us with his spirit and empower us to, to, to resist living for this world, to pursue him. 
But again, just as the initial problem was simple, satisfaction from God or this world, our answers are fairly simple as well. How do we pursue God in faithfulness? Be devoted to prayer and God's word. You may say that's a Sunday school answer. I disagree. I disagree. You get yourself committed to being on your knees before God. Commit yourself to prayer. You get yourself committed to being in God's word, seeking to hear from him. And tell me if God doesn't do something in your life. Commit yourself to hearing from God. Do you, do you, know, how, how the, do you know how they got from verses 1 through 3 to verse 13? Do you know how things ended up for the Israelites? Do you know the easiest way to stop following God? Stop listening to him. Do you know the easiest way to forget about all that God has done? Stop hearing about it. You stop reminding yourself of who he is and what he's done. To pursue God in faithfulness, we must have a renewed, spirit-empowered commitment to going before him in prayer and hearing about him in his word. But we also have to pursue the Lord in holiness. You see, in, in holiness, it's been decreed that we can do nothing apart from God. And the part of God that generally comes to our assistance is who Jesus refers to as the helper, the Holy Spirit. But how can you experience the enabling power and presence of God in your life when you're not walking in the purity of God? 1 Thessalonians 5.19 warns us not to quench the Spirit. You see, when we pursue the things of this world, when we follow after idols, when we seek satisfaction from things outside of God, we allow sin to reign within us, even as believers, right? It's not that we don't have the Spirit of God. We do. That's a promise in Ephesians 1. But we're not always filled with it. It's like this. Um, when I get a cup of coffee, and, and now I was told, uh, I drink coffee, and I was told when I was 19, um, I, I was lied to. I was, told, I was told when I was 19 that uh, if I kept drinking coffee, eventually I'd start to like it, right? Uh, Twelve years later, I still hate it, okay? But, but I drink it. I drink it this morning. I like coffee because I like what it does for me. I like what it does in me, right? I, it hel it's helpful. So, um, but, but anyways, not all cups of coffee are created equal, true? And, and my cup of coffee probably doesn't look the same as your cup of coffee, and you see, when I drink my coffee, I drink it half and half. And I know you're probably assuming that I like to use half and half cream, but what I mean by that is when I drink my coffee, it's half coffee and it's half cream and sugar. And you see, and, and it's awesome, right? You get to watch the, the coffee just transform. It gets lighter and lighter and lighter. And, and, and that's how it is. That's how my coffee is if I drink it how I like it. And you, you may look at me and go, Ryan, well, then that's not coffee, right? What, what you have in your cup is not coffee. And I go, well, sure it is. But you persist and you say, no, no, no. It, it used to be coffee until you threw all that other crap in there. Now you can't even taste it. Do you hear it? You may have the Holy Spirit in your life, but when you throw all that other crap in there, you can't even taste it. You can't sense it. I'd have no way of knowing by looking at the cup of coffee, which is your life, that you were filled with the Spirit because all you see is sin. You cannot pursue God in faithfulness, committing to prayer and His Word, unless you are filled with the Spirit. And you cannot be filled with the Spirit while you are intentionally, simultaneously walking and living in sin. 
The great evangelist Dwight L. Moody once said, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. If you want to experience satisfaction, pursue the Lord in holiness. Confess your sin. Repent. Turn from it. We just read Psalm 51 at the beginning of the service. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. David's saying, God, give me a clean heart. God, give me a a right spirit. Cleanse me. Remove the sin from my life. Then I will experience your presence. Then I will be full of your spirit. Then I will walk in joy. Verse 13, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Verse 14, then my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Verse 15, then my mouth will declare your praise. If you desire true satisfaction in this life, then stop seeking satisfaction from your sin. Remove it. Allow the Spirit of God to fill you. Pursue the Lord with with faithfulness, with holiness, and with willingness. Remember, God's people at the beginning, they followed him willingly in the wilderness, through dry and barren lands, through deserts and deserted places where no one dwells, through lands of drought and deep darkness. They followed God willingly even when times were tough. They followed him with a trusting dependence upon him. You see, Jeremiah 2, verse 13, really brings everything together for us. It says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God says they, they'd forsaken God. They'd forsaken God and they dug their own wells. They turned away from the living water and they'd sought satisfaction from their own efforts and the result was emptiness. They pursued worthless, empty things and they became empty. They tried to dig cisterns, wells, but they were broken. They couldn't hold water. They could never satisfy. Again, verse 11, they exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. And I wonder, is that you this morning? You see, the gospel says that we're like the Israelites, that we've turned away from following God, and that we have followed after worthless and empty things in this world. And because of that, our lives are full of sin. And as a result, we're separated from a holy God. And the consequences of that sin is death. But God doesn't want to leave you there. God doesn't want to leave you in separation from him. And so God sent his one and only unique perfect son Jesus to die in your place on the cross satisfying the payment for your sins and then he rose Jesus from the dead so that anyone who believes in him would have new eternal life Romans 10 13 says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved so that even when we're stuck in our sins and when we've exchanged our glorious God for worthless things 2 Corinthians 5 21 God says I'm going to exchange your sin for my righteousness. Right? This is our God. He's saying, he's saying, come, come, drink, be satisfied. Stop running after worthless and empty things. Stop digging wells. Stop seeking satisfaction from something else. It won't work. Think of it like this. Gas is expensive now, right? I, I saw on the way here it, it dropped below four dollars, right? I saw $3.99. I was like, woo, thank you, Jesus. Um, but, uh, but, but, but so imagine, right, gas is expensive. So imagine if Pastor Brad and I decided uh, we're going to go out and we're going to start digging for oil. 
And so we're, we're out and we're digging. And, and, and we, we, behind us, we, we hear this explosion. Or we hear this explosion behind us. And we turn around and right there, there is this enormous gushing oil geyser. I mean, it's got to be spraying like 50 feet high. However, instead of the two of us rejoicing at the incredible treasure that we found, Brad and I turn around and keep digging in the dirt. Nope, no oil here. Next hole. Nope, still nothing. Hey, Brad, you seen any oil? And all the while, there is this oil gushing and overflowing behind us, so much so that the oil started to saturate the ground. I mean, it's running everywhere. It's like black sludge oozing across the ground. And Brad and I, we see the oil, right? We see it on the ground. We get excited. So we start digging and we start digging. But it dries up. It runs out because there's no source there. And the process repeats itself. You see oil on the ground. You get excited. Think we finally found at last what we've been searching for. Another empty hole. Disappointment. And the whole time, there's a gushing, overflowing geyser spewing out precious cargo right behind us. And church, what I need you to hear this morning is that God is saying, that's me. I am the fountain of living water. He who drinks of me will never be thirsty again. I am the bread of life. Come and eat, you'll never be hungry. I am the only one who can bring rest and satisfaction to your souls. Oh, come to me. I embrace the prodigal son. Come to me. I am near the brokenhearted. Come to me. I'm a friend closer than a brother. Come to me. I am your refuge in the storm. Come to me. I am an inexhaustible source of joy. Oh, won't you come, church? Won't you come and be satisfied by the Lord? Why are you running after empty things, things that can never satisfy you? Can't you see me? The band is going to close with a new song this morning. A song declaring our steadfast hope and trust in God. Our solid rock. And as we look to him, church, I encourage you that, that while the band sings, that if you need to, you come down here and you do business with God. If there are worthless, empty things that you've been seeking satisfaction from, come lay them down. If you need to confess and repent of sins, things you've been holding on to, things that are keeping you from being filled with the Spirit, from living in the presence of God, from walking in His joy, come lay those things down. Don't settle for lamb chops when you got filet mignon. Y'all respond as the Lord leads. Again, I would invite you to either sing Stand with us as we sing, or you can sit there and meditate on God's word. You can come here and pray. You can find a brother or a sister to pray. Whatever you do, I echo my brother that you would do as the Lord leads you, no matter what it is. Let's sing and let's celebrate.
guys can uh, have a seat just for a second. I want to again just thank you guys for, I'm so excited to be able to share God's word with you this morning and just to worship with y'all. I want to remind you of a couple things. One, if you're a, a guest or a visitor for a first time with us, we'd, we'd love to get a chance to get to know you, to connect with you. So we just ask, man, if you would just text the word connect to our church number. That's 910-424-1298. Again, just text the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298. We'd love just to get to know you. Sit down, have lunch, have coffee, hear your story. We just would love to put a face to the name. Uh, also, a couple of announcements we have coming up. If you're going to our men's retreat in October, you're signed up for that. The, uh, the final payments are due. So if you're wondering how much you pay, just reach out to our church office, same number, and our church secretaries will, will make sure they'll, they'll give you your balance of what you know what you owe. Uh, our students are leaving. We have not all, but we have a couple students leaving tomorrow morning to go to a student leadership university conference in Washington, D.C. So I know they'd appreciate your prayers as they leave tomorrow morning. And our Kentucky mission trip is on the road right now. 
Um, I thought they left before last service, so I was wrong. They actually were in the service, uh, but now they have left. They're on the road, and so uh, would, I know they would appreciate your prayers as they go to minister the gospel to, uh, to uh, needy mothers and uh, in Kentucky, and just pray that God would create great gospel opportunities for them, give them traveling mercies. I also want to encourage you guys, I meant to do this at the beginning, but um, I want to encourage you guys to pray for Pastor Brad and his family while they're out. Pray for them while they're just enjoying some time together on vacation. Um, uh, and I say that not to say anything between the lines. You guys are an amazing church. You're a very encouraging church. But I come from uh, my home church, went through a nasty church split over silly things. And, and some words that um, one, of the, one of the associate pastors charged the congregation with after everything. Um, they, they've always stuck with me. And he said, um, what if... Every time you came to complain about your pastor, you instead prayed for him. What, what would have happened? And so I just encourage you guys, every time I, every time I get an opportunity, I'm going to encourage you guys, pray for your pastor. Pray for Brad. Pray that God would fill him with the spirit, that God would empower him, anoint him, direct him. Pray for your pastors. And I want to lead us now just to pray for our mission team as we go out. Lord, I thank you so much just for the joy that you filled us with, God, that you've given us your presence, your spirit, salvation, forgiveness of sins, God. We could sing on and on of the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. You are so good. And God, I pray right now that you would bless Pastor Brad and his family as they are away on vacation. God, I pray that you would encourage them. You would fill them up, renew them, bring them back here fully charged. God, I pray for our mission team as they go out. God, protect them as they go. Protect them while, they, while they're there. God, open their mouths with boldness. Fill them with your spirit. Let, let your gospel be ready on their lips. God, we pray for many gospel opportunities, Lord, as they go out. God, we pray that you would uh, just use the, the things that have been donated and given, that you would bless the families there, that you would use them for your kingdom. And we just pray your will be done. We thank you again for your love. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you, church. You're dismissed. Thank you.